get set. It's In Goal Radio, the podcast coming at you, presented by the Source for Sports Surrey, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, as we broadcast from Vegas, the lower mainland, and Vancouver Island to goaltenders everywhere throughout the wide world of this great position and this journey inside the crease. Today, we are going to chat with a couple of goaltenders at very different parts of their careers. One is an e-bug playing Canadian college hockey, and the other one is a veteran in the American Hockey League after a pretty good uh, time in the NHL. And what a uh, wild uh, route that uh, Kevin Poulin has taken. Uh, the other person of interest is uh, Taylor Joseph, who has uh, just got this crazy cool story uh, in Vancouver with the Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, let's bring in the co-founders of Ingoal Magazine. David Hutchison, Kevin Woodley, Woody, your fresh off assignment uh, covering a Vancouver Canucks game. And Hutch has just been hanging out, waiting for us to get to work. I don't know. I think we're both off assignment. I got to spend three days over on the lower mainland and hang out with Woody. So I had a great week. How was that? It was pretty awesome. We got to go see Cam over at the hockey shop and spend a little time together. We got to head out to Abbotsford and uh, catch up with our good friend Marco Marciano and the Lavelle Rocket and their two goaltenders. And uh, yeah, it was. it's always good. We get productive when we're together and when we remember to hit record on the old uh, podcast uh, recorder. You guys do tend to get distracted when you're together. We get a little excited. Woody? We get a little excited. No hot tub this time, though. No, no, we didn't need that type of distraction. That's for sure. Uh, although, coming back after covering a game tonight, I almost had, I, we almost, I almost did my end of this recording in the hot tub, but I figured I could put up with you guys for a little while before I get out there. Uh, we want to congratulate uh, Eve Gascon from the Gatineau Olympics. Uh, she just stepped in and, uh, and uh, got this opportunity and... Uh, we knew at some point that she was going to get this start, but uh, but what a performance! Uh, picking up a seven three win, very rare uh, that a, a, a woman uh, goes in there and wins a game in the QMJHL. Uh, Woody, first time since Charlene Labonte in I believe it was two thousand for a female goaltender to win in the Q. So congratulations, like you said, and it was pretty cool. Like we put it on social media. Um, just seeing the reception, like massive crowd and very much into it and into her performance. And she was first star and huge ovation. And then she goes into the locker room and everybody's showering her in water and just just kind of a big moment um, for her and obviously for women's hockey as well, uh, as much as we focus a lot on. And, and we'll segue here. Um, a belated congratulations. And our guest next week from the PHF will be Katie Burt of the um, Isabel Cup champion Boston Pride. Um, so a couple big moments in women's hockey over the past uh, week, and we'll have Katie on next week, and congratulations to Eve as well. I didn't realize it had been 22 years uh, That's a long since time. Uh, Charlene had done it. That's wild. It doesn't feel like it should take that long. No. Uh, you know, there have been just, a, lot of, a lot of really solid young female goaltenders, and let's, let's hope uh, it doesn't take another 22 years. Let's hope the door is open. And I, because I don't think there's enough opportunities at this level for young women to to play high level hockey. I mean, we're, right now we're seeing all this work towards a legitimate professional league for women, and they really need that legitimate opportunity at the junior level as well. So it's it's great that Eve could take this on, and I hope that we get to see a few more in the future soon. Well, it reminds me a little bit of Anne Renee Debian, and you know, obviously winning a gold medal with a Canadian Olympic team in just just a, last month or 2022 uh, over in Beijing, but. The story she told us about coaches 
you know, in junior and and yes. in, in yeah. Bantam and Midget, just not giving her an opportunity because they didn't want to, in, in her words or in their words to her, waste their time developing a female goaltender. So um, hopefully, like some of those archaic attitudes are are out the door as we start to see more and more success stories like this. Uh, that's uh, awesome stuff. Uh, today's uh, gear segment is uh, revolving around the SLR three uh, model with Vaughn and uh, Hutch. What was it like uh, being in the room? as Woody and Cam broke things down. It was an awesome experience. I feel like we should sell tickets so that people can watch these two guys, both at various times sort of going squirrel and uh, heading down in another direction. I mean, just for some perspective, every week Woody drives out to the hockey shop. They get about an hour together before the shop opens up, and typically they get through one week of material. And with Dad in the room, they got three weeks of material and a whole bunch of other sort of aside things that we'll be using for other bits and pieces too. So when somebody can contain the two boys, uh, we're able to get a lot of work done. I think what we are presenting in video is going to look a little bit better because to be fair, Woody is wearing a whole lot of hats when he's in there doing, doing the squirrel routine because he's producer, he's director, he's cameraman, he's sound man. He's uh, the star of the show some days, some days he lets Cam talk every now and then. This week, Cam actually got to take over the whole show, more or less. And uh, so it was, a, it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I think, I think one of these days it's got to be sort of breakfast with Woody and Cam and we can mm. bring people into the shop and do some live recordings or something because it's a lot of fun hanging out with those two boys. Sounds like a Saturday morning presentation, Woody. Yeah, okay. I don't know how many episodes we'll get through then. And in our defense, because Hutch was in town to direct us and bring his lights and all the good equipment, we did have a full two hours this time instead of the regular hour. So we managed to squeeze in a few more. We were there from eight to 10. <laughs> I like it when you guys go and start bickering back and forth. But, uh, the, the Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com, does bring us uh, our gear segment, as well as uh, presenting Ingle Radio, the podcast. And the SLR3 line from Vaughn is the focus today as we send it over to Goalie Utopia. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, source for sports. We're down here in the, the goalie level. We're trying to get on Cam's level, which is... You are on my level. You're down here. It's a lower level with Cam. I um, think I brought you up out of the basement. We're in Goalie in Utopia. We're in Goalie Utopia. We don't call it the basement. <laughs> with the new Vaughn SLR3, I'm just going to let you walk me through what's new here. Uh, we haven't really had a chance to have a breakdown ourselves from Vaughn. I mean, there's some things that jump out on the pads automatically, uh, but you walk me through what's new, what's improved in the SLR3, Cam. All right. SLR3. As Bauer, and we'll also give Warriors some credit here, have pushed things forward in terms of with their integration of their knee cradles and how stable they are for when you're dropping down the butterfly. Vaughn has followed suit and decided to update their knee cradle to provide a lot more stability in the butterfly. So previous year's pad, we can already see off the bat that the knee stack is quite a bit thicker itself. A, we're going to pick ourselves up a little bit higher in that butterfly, get a little bit better position, take some stress off the hips as well. But the big thing here is I'm now actually sewing it into the internal core of the pad, just on the edge. So it's definitely not the same way that Bauer does it here. But as you can see, rather than just mounting that right on top of the actual pad itself, this one's now integrated closer to the core. So it's laced in design. 
You can still open it up just a little bit more to get a better look at it. But we can see we've added quite a bit more stability to that pad, especially in previous years. Oh, you can really see it in the comparison here. If I, I mean, there's a little give there, but it's with Correct. the whole face of the pad. And then you look at last, the old previous model, like that's, that's sort of the flop and flex that we're trying to avoid as we move forward in sort of that integration between. Exactly. And so we've seen in pad design and the way pads have kind of changed up. We've really seen the key is being able to have that ability to have that proper seal uh, when you're down in the butterfly and not have that pad roll out on you. So we're not having any over rotation. Under rotation, we're helping to prevent with that as well. But again, having that stable platform to allow you to sit a little bit taller, really get above that puck and cut off those angles. Well, one day we'll teach you the research that CCM did that actually shows it gets the pad to the ice faster. I said that earlier. Okay. You're a little, he's, he's not on top of it this morning, Kevin. What's next? All right. So they've updated the lake channel just a little bit more too as well. So we've widened it out, add a little bit of concave to it too as well. What this will allow to do, a little bit better connectivity, better feel and rotation as well. We still feel and still have that reactive control strap, which so continues compared, off. Compared to the two? Yes, so deeper inset in between. They puffed out the actual shin pad just a little bit more as well. Nice and squishy. Um, should give that really connectivity and that overall control feel over that pad as well. Strapping system on the outer side has actually remained pretty much the same. Winning combination, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Continuing with the quick slide material as well. Something that uh, we've seen work quite well, had some excellent feedback as well. Durability aspect for the pad and, and continuing forward. Great overall feel. Similar to Brian's Primo. Correct. Oddly similar. Noticeably similar. <laughs> <laughs> still some good boot flex in the pad itself. So still allowing you to kind of get over top as this is somewhat of a stiffer profile pad. But as we can see here, both Kevin and I noticed, we've still got some good thigh flex in the overall pad itself. So depending on what exactly you're looking for in the pad, this is something you can order custom in terms of getting it a little bit stiffer up top if you do wish. That flex is great for some guys, but that can also lead to uh, some potential you know, trapdoor situations and things like that. It's a little thicker, the profile. We've seen, we've seen companies sort of get thinner and thinner in that thigh rise. This one's got a little more substance to it. Correct. Uh, and, and yet still has that flex. Correct. Pad, SLR3, Pro Carbon. I like it. One thing that we noticed too, almost like a little bit of it, I can see it here when you're talking to me, like it, it almost sort of like there's like a forward angle on it when it's flush on the ice, like in terms of like not just being straight up and down, like it almost twists at the top, like a little bit to sort of cut off pucks by having a little bit of a... Comboed with the beveled outer roll as well, help to keep the puck back in front of you, not allowing that to skip back over top and kind of roll in. You can almost see it when it's sitting like this, it's a little bit of a twist that, and it makes sense in terms of helping to sort of close that up. What's next? All right. You're Kay. in charge. It's your show, your show, your show. My show today, I like yeah, this. Yeah, I'm just a bystander. This is last year's. Show me the new glove. SLR3 Pro Carbon Catcher. Some things have changed, but a lot of it has to do with the internals of the glove. So addition of a Kevlar palm, a thicker palm. Oh. Noticeably. Noticeably thicker, thicker palm. This will be one of those things where it's kind of hard to show you and you kind of have to more so try it on yourself in all honesty. Well, I, I don't know. Like you can sort of almost see if you open that up and show it the same way I am, you quit. You can almost see how beefed up that area is inside the palm, sort of side by side. So I'll beef up your knowledge here a little bit between the two. Overall feel-wise, once again, you have to get it on your hands to really notice it. I mean, visuals only do so much. I actually find this has a better closure than last year's as well. 
However, my hands are a little stronger than Kevin's, a little bit bigger than Kevin's, so I can wrap my hand around the brake a little bit easier and get a little bit better control. So someone for a little bit smaller hands might have a little bit more difficulty with the thickness of this palm, just wrapping their hand all the way around the brake. Yeah, I did notice it definitely. Like as soon as in the palm, as soon as you close it, you can feel how much more, there's just more material there, like Correct. significantly more material, which is going to help with stingers, but is going to require a bit of a feel adjustment for goaltenders because it is a totally different feel than before. You can see the stitching goes through the palm. There was no stitching in this one. So you've got that added which would keep your brake intact, which is a nice thing, but it is going to feel a lot more like you're closing your hand around all that material rather than just sort of straight down a line. Opening up the back end, and well worth it to do on this glove as well, Vaughn has changed up their system a little bit more. You can actually get quite a tight fit out of this glove. Um, a little bit different from what they've done in the past, so Kevin takes a second to open that up. Vaughn continues using their neoprene backhand. This is something we've seen on their previous older models as well. I find I can get this glove a little bit tighter in comparison to the older SLR2. Just in terms of feel-wise, still supple materials on the inside, so it's a nice comfy glove, which Vaughn has always kind of been known for. Heat moldable, which is very important, help to imprint your hand inside that glove. Single T stock, obviously you can order double T if you want to order custom. Just nice overall feel. Last but not least, locker. How come I get the old stuff and you get the new stuff? Well, because you don't know anything about the new stuff or the old stuff. That's what I'm here for. Ha <laughs> ha, got it. Fair point. All right. SLR3 Pro Carbon Blocker. Winning recipe already for them. Not a whole lot has changed between the two. Biggest call out is the new palm material. Softer foam, we see this foam actually in the knee cradle itself. Much different feel overall. I actually find that this palm's a little bit tighter uh, on the hand, but not necessarily in a bad way. Well, we've seen other companies go this way as well uh, over the past couple of years. Reduce the material almost like a player's glove, less material leads to better feel. Correct. Nice control. The blocker's not overly floppy by any means. Again, winning recipe for them, so not a whole lot has changed. SLR3 Pro Carbon. If you have any questions about it, you can give me a call. I here have a question, Ken. Oh, here we go. How come it has quick slide technology on the blocker? So, as a durability aspect, when you're down in that paddle down, because that quick slide material is a little bit better of a wear, when you're down and having that blocker run across, this will help to stop those edges from wearing. He actually had a good answer. I'm impressed. I guess that's why you come to the hockey shop on thehockeyshop.com with your questions. If they've got any more, Cam, where can they get you? 604-589-8299. Remember, folks, SLR3 in-store now, also available for custom orders. If you want to go through that custom process, make sure you talk to Cam. We talked last week about fit and how different pads fit differently. This is one of the ones that fits differently from Vaughn's other model. Make sure you check in with Cam to get the size and the specs that fit your game. Thanks, Cam. Thank you. The, the glove, that fascinates me. Uh, the, the, the real firm padded palm. Uh, like, like hearing that, the blocker with the uh, slide on the, on the blocker. Like, that's, that's cool. You but I stumped the Cam there, terms. hey, and he actually had an answer uh, yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, I, I know. Was, that was cool. Uh, yeah, I was kind Not of pissed. for very long you didn't. Yeah, no, he, he was pretty response. much ready for it, but it I was a good question. I, I thought I had him, and he just like had it ready to go, and it actually made sense too, which is like <laughs> totally like baffling to me. Yes. I kind of use it as leverage, though, sometimes to get up, and if there's some slide on there, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to be able to get up. Uh, but but uh, what's your favorite? Uh, I'll start with you, Hutch. Uh, just your favorite part of the of the new SLR3 line. 
Well, for me, it was the knee stock for sure. Um, I think this trend towards firming up the knee stocks uh, so that they're no longer just simply laced to the back of the pad. And um, Kevin had a, a beautiful demo in the video. And again, another reminder, go to YouTube, check out the video of this, uh, this segment. Uh, because Kevin really nicely showed the difference between the SLR2 and the SLR3 and that change in the knee stack. And you can just see how much more connected you'll be, uh, how much quicker you'll get the pad to the ice as a result of that. And uh, again, I think he did sort of stump cam in that one, but he didn't really admit it. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was the biggest change. And then uh, the improvement in the uh, blocker palm as well. Just the, again, another little bit of a trend in the industry that's happening removing some of the material in that blocker palm so that it fits a little bit smaller and uh, you can be a little bit more accurate with your uh, work with the stick as well as a result so a lot of really good highlights hey woody yeah the glove uh the glove would take some getting used to like there's a lot of extra material sort of inside that brake line in the palm of your hand and you feel like you're closing it around that material a little bit but i think with a break in you'd get comfortable with that um, and you're certainly going to have a ton of protection in the palm uh, it was pretty beefy Pads, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, now, we haven't done a demo or official in-goal, like deep dive, multiple tester sessions on Vaughn uh, in, geez, it's been it's been years since we've done that, dating back to the time they sent us one pad to test. Uh, I don't think we've tested anything from them since. And I got to be honest with you, this is probably the first time in a while where I've picked up uh, a Vaughn pad and thought I'd really like to do a full review and get to see how this performs and how it feels. Cause it had a, you know, it had a, it, it was sort of that straight modern butterfly pad, but I like the flex profile on it. Um, at a time when a lot of companies are going super thin on the thigh rise, this was actually beefier. And at first I thought, yeah, it's pretty thick thigh rise compared to where everyone's going, but a lot of flex on there and you felt like you could put a good curve in it. And so I'd be curious to see how it performs and get a feel for how it actually is on the ice. I, Again, feels like a sort of straight profile pad or not straight, but sort of flat profile pad with a lot of flex in it. Like I, I just like to give it a whirl. So um, if you're listening, Vaughn, um, get on that. <laughs> hey, if you're an Ingol member, <laughs> you can go over to ingolmag.com, scroll down to the bottom. You've got access to the archives of those old PDF sort of flip books that we did. Go check it out and see if you can figure out which one of those Woody's wearing only one pad. Oh yeah, that's that right. took some talk about art direction, and that was really Woody's brilliance on that one. Uh, For those that don't know, tough now. You, you, you <laughs> there was a, a whole review. whole lot of one pad down VH yeah. shots yeah. off the post to film that one. Just you just couldn't for, do it anymore because of the RVH. But in the old VH days, you can get away with just one pad and shoot a cover. You were doing a pad review, and they sent you one pad, and then you guys were amazing in making it work with one pad. But I saw one of their reps as well on the ice shortly after that, and I asked him why he wasn't wearing their skates, and it's because he'd only been sent one skate to review as well. So it happens. They, you know, to be fair, they were putting customers first instead of just making all the demo gear for everybody else. Production was for their customers, but uh, it was a bit of a challenge. Hmm. Trying to think of what what you could actually get away with with one up, like one glove. That's that's going to be tough. You need, and they're they're different. Uh, one arm in in a in a chesty <laughs> um and, and, i don't know hey i almost had i almost had to play beer league the other night with no gloves and that is a, Why? A, because and i blame cam for this frankly cuz after we did that episode on how to break in your glove 
And he yeah. threw the CCM glove in the skate oven for just like two minutes. And then I put it on my hand and it was like soft butter. Or to quote Amazing. Carrie Price, sticking your hand in a, what is it? A, a, a warm of, log of warm warm log loaf of, of butter. Bu- loaf of butter. It was so nice. So now I've taken to throwing my mitt in front of, on a little drying rack that I have in my garage, sort of put a little heat in it before each game. So I packed up all my gear. Threw the no. mitten on the heater, got halfway to the rink. This is just the, like last night, got halfway to the rink and I'm like, oh crap, no way to make it back in time. 30 minutes out. There's no way. Text my wife, brings the glove to the no. rink. 20 years of marriage and she drags a stinky glove 30 minutes across town to make sure I could actually have something on my hand for. So that is, as I said on Twitter, the definition of true love. Thanks, Steph. You're the best. In Goal Magazine CFO and Glove Deliverer. You are a disaster. Didn't you have a flat tire like a month ago? Yep. Yep. And no, then my fault I drove over a screw. Yeah. Yeah, I'm having I'm on a roll, boys. Listen, if you don't show up to the rink without built-in excuses for your poor performances, how are you gonna get away with all this crappy play I've had of late? Darren, Did you, win? you ever forgot Darren, have you ever forgotten equipment? Yeah. What'd you forget? Uh, I think I've forgotten everything uh, over the years. Uh, but all, all more recently, more recently, skates. I forgot skates a couple That's of years a ago. One. That's yeah, I, I, I think I can beat you both. What jock? I pads? forgot my pads once. How do you Ooh. forget pads? I don't. I have no idea. I don't put them in my bag. I carry them separately. You know what we do? To our I, I arrived at the rink. I opened the back of the van and immediately knew what I'd done. Thank, thankfully, at the time, I lived literally five minutes from the rink, so it wasn't a big deal. The, the, I, I guess too much going on. I think the most common one is uh, undergarments. Like, you know, if you wash your undergarment bag and then yeah. you forget to put it back in the hockey bag, that's mo- the worst one for me. But once I did that and I'd washed the jock and so I got to the rink and I didn't have undergarments and I didn't have a can, that was a dangerous game. You didn't play. I did. Darren, I wow. did play, but I had... I had a I had a player's can sort of just shoved in there in my pants and hoped it stayed in the right spot. You were an idiot, Woody. And uh, I, w- I would wear undergarments all day long before I do that. I wouldn't do that. You don't wear a dangler and you wear, you wear a, a player's cup. It was just one game. It was low level. I, it only takes one shot to either, either place. Listen, I've, I've already had my two kids. I'm done with that. It was okay. Would have been painful, but... Never mind the pain. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I, I'm not, they'd be doing the world a favor at this point if they hit you there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was, that, that was a little too much. I apologize. You guys, did you guys see Logan Thompson the other night? Uh, the rookie playing up with the, the Vegas Golden Knights started eight games in a row. Uh, stepped in when, well, they were, the goalies are down. He took a stick to the side of the head and, uh, and it got underneath his mask. But, the dangler kind of deflected and took away some of the momentum of, of, of the twig because it just snapped in there. So I was, I, once again, I was thinking about you two idiots. I was in Seattle, no? Yeah. I actually, I watched that game and I was actually a little worried, not worried, but I wondered just because of the way he reacted and the way his head snapped around. I, I kept waiting for one of those concussion spotters to say, oh, he was holding his head and shaking his head. He has to come out of the game and poor Robin Lehner getting thrust in off the bench after not playing for a month. I kind of was worried that was going to happen in that game after watching that. I was more than worried. I was shocked it didn't happen. Yeah. After some of the uh, players that, are, that that have been pulled out and, uh, and, you know what, Hutch? I, I won't call you an idiot. 
I'll just say that your choices are slightly idiotic. <laughs> yeah, slightly idiotic when it what comes choice, to not wearing a dangler. What choice is that? Hanging out with Woody? No, not wearing a dangler. Oh, okay. We're back to that. Uh, that whole thing. Uh, or what do they call it? Lexan now? Yeah, I don't, I don't play with anybody who shoots hard enough to hurt me there anyway, so it's all good. Hmm. Well, you never know. You might just fall down and you can't get up. <laughs> That's the then, age of Then you're next uh, exposed. Uh, let's get into uh, the first of our two feature interviews presented by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Uh, we uh, just loving what's going on at Sensorina right now and heading into that stage where you might have some gaps if you get a uh, uh, child in, in minor hockey where you're, you've got some space in your schedule with seasons ending and, and spring hockey if you're playing that. Uh, haven't started up yet, and yeah. this would help you out. I think I think Sensorina Darren's an incredible opportunity as we hit the summertime now. Most teams have finished, and and some kids moved on to spring hockey. But I know if you want to reach the next level as a goaltender, you really need to do something over these next four months to try and raise your game. And absolutely encourage people to play some other sports, get out there. Play some baseball, play some golf, whatever it is that's your passion. Uh, chase those down, but find some room to work on your goaltending. And it's not enough to just go out for a skate with a group of kids who want to play a little bit of shinny. That will not get you ready for the next level because, as we've talked about on the show before, guys, shinny hockey just leads to bad habits, cheating, not preparing you. But, Sensorina gives you an opportunity to work on your game in a focused way that, quite frankly, you can't even do on the ice a lot of the things that you can do with Sense Arena. Whether that's working through a drill, using the box control ropes that show you how you're filling space, they're on there as you're working through the drill. Whether it's reading shooters at a higher level than you've played before to learn how that puck is released from the stick and how to track that into your glove. Getting specific feedback about your tracking, a percentage number after every drill telling you how well you tracked the puck, how quickly you reacted to it. There's so many things built into Sense Arena that will help you raise your game so that when you get on the ice again in the fall, you're going to be a better goaltender than when you left it and ahead of all the other guys out there who aren't using Sense Arena, who aren't doing some specific training through the summer. You know, guys, I often hear people say that uh, players should do something over the summer like try and shoot 100 pucks a day, try and shoot 10,000 pucks in the backyard over the, uh, the course of the summer. I would challenge everybody out there who's got Sense Arena to make a goal of 15 minutes a day for the summer. Do a diagnostic, work through a training plan, do some of the neurocognitive drills. You don't have to spend two hours. I guarantee if you spend 15 minutes a day for the rest of the summer, do that little in-goal Sensorina challenge, you will raise your game to a new level. Sensorina, give it a try this summer. Yeah, and the uh, the puck tracking uh, statistics that, that they give you, like it, it's a great reminder. You might do two drills, then you look at that and go, oh, well, I can do better than that uh, and improve your puck tracking. And it's just, a, it's, it's a reinforcement and something that, as far as puck tracking, you don't have, even if you're out and you've got all the ice time in the world, you don't have that, that feedback about how much you're actually doing beyond a coach or somebody telling you you're not doing this enough. Yeah. And we were, you know, as, as you know, we were talking to a couple of American League goaltenders and a NHL development coach this weekend. 
and they specifically wanted to sit down with us and find out more about Sense Arena. Uh, these are guys at the highest level in the game looking for that next tool that will help them become better goaltenders, and they want to find out more about it. And I encourage everybody else out there to do the very same thing. You tell him I was top 140 once in a, in a competition for a while? I, I did. I said, I wish Darren was here. <laughs> did you guys, hey, listen, guys, did you see that one of the finalists for the Sense Arena goalie competition? His name's Bill, that he's 51 years old. He bought 51? it for his kids and started doing it. And he's taught, just, I just had a great testimonial about it from him talking about how just how incredible a tool it's been for him and, and learning about box control and the lessons from Brian DeCord and how much it's progressed his game. So uh, us old farts here making jokes about uh, not being able to, to crack the top 40 or whatever. Bill's here in the finalist at age 51. So uh, there's hope for all of us yet. Hey, and does Sensorina make a difference? Totally. Darren Millard was a mere beer league goaltender, got sense arena. He's been skating with Jack Eichel ever since. So come on. And look what is, there a better, is there a better testimonial? No, no. And all of a sudden Vegas can score again. That's, that's uh, they're, they're lighting it up. So it's, it's, it's great for on that side of it. Uh, and speaking of inspirational stories, uh, what a, what a dynamite uh, experience for Taylor Joseph, uh, e-bug and just, Woody, can you walk through us for us uh, what what happened, and then you guys get into the conversation? Well, I think I think we'll just throw it to the conversation because I really had Taylor walk us through it, and the pieces that I don't think a lot of people realize as he explains was just how long it had been since he'd been on the ice with his university team. Between that and getting this opportunity, what he thought was going to be just you know on the bench in a typical e-buck backup role, to making his first start in the American Hockey League on literally a couple of hours notice. It's a great story, and it, we thought it was... We know there's other stories like this out there, but it was just the way it panned out and the way it played out. Uh, he was in our backyard here in the Vancouver area, and so we wanted to catch up with, with him for a few minutes, and let's let Taylor tell us how it all went down. Excited to welcome to the Ingo Radio Podcast for the first time and just from down the road here in the Lower Mainland, Taylor Joseph from the Trinity Western University Spartans. That's it, you got it. And the Toronto Marlies this past week gets into his first AHL game. Like I, Rather than me setting it up and walking through people through the details, why don't you just do it for us, Taylor? Like You've had an opportunity to sort of be in that e-bug role before out in Abbotsford, playing nearby in Trinity Western with the Abbotsford Canucks. Things went from e-bug to starter to like, walk me through how this week proceeded for you to get into your first American Hockey League game and get your first AHL win. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, to be honest, it was uh, pretty like... Uh, to be honest, I was like, we have a team sponsor here at Trinity Western. So a few of us help them out just uh, working. I have some time on my hands. So I was actually in the middle of working and um, I got a text message from one of the guys with the Marlies and he just said, Hey, we need you for tonight and tomorrow um, to back up Hutchinson. And I was like, okay, yeah, for sure. So I kind of scrambled uh, out a few hours to get to the rink. So I kind of scrambled to get to back to White Rock and then to uh, get to the rink. And then it was kind of, just thought I was obviously backing up. And then I got to the rank that day and the trainers with um, Toronto just said, Hey, like Mirazik went down. So I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, Oh, like that kind of sucks. Right. And then 
I was getting my stuff ready and then got called into the coach's office. I thought it was just an introduction and they, uh, they said, yeah, you're starting tonight as soon as I went in. And so I was like, kind of, I thought they were kind of joking at first. Like, I, I don't know. I need to think <laughs> a lot of things going through your head there. And then, um, found out they were pretty serious quickly. And that's kind of how I found out around two hours before the game. It, it better that way. I mean, like, like you said, you walk in there expecting to, you know, get the jersey and be on the bench and be a part of the team for a couple of nights, but not necessarily play a game. I, mean, I guess you got to sort of prepare yourself mentally. There's always the possibility the other guy gets hurt, but to have that mind frame have to switch that quickly, is it almost better that you didn't have any notice or was it tough? Cause you would have maybe prepared differently with a little more time. Well, like to be honest, like, I don't know. I, I think I prepare, try to prepare the same way for every game, regardless if you're starting or not. Um, I think the big thing is I didn't, I honestly didn't have time, even from the, when I got the phone call that day, it just, you, I kind of went into the mode, just get there as soon as I can, just kind of try to prepare. And then when, when I got the news, to be honest, it was just normal routine, game day routine, tried not to think too much of it. I was, I was obviously excited to get the call and, um, like those opportunities don't come often. So I just wanted to kind of run with it and take it. So you've been around the Abbotsford Canucks. You've done some sort of fill-in duty with them. Does it help having seen, because I imagine, you know, the jump up from Canadian University to the American Hockey League, um, we've had guys talk about for a lot of years, like that that's the biggest jump you can make, whether it's university, junior, you know, from there to your first year pro is the biggest jump. So to all of a sudden get thrown into a game, does the fact you'd seen those shots before and other warm-ups were used to the environment, been around the rink there. Did that help at all? Or was it all just sort of coming at you in waves and learning as you go? No, like that's, I was, I was fortunate when I was with Abbotsford, I was there for about a week. So I got to practice with them and, and it was honestly like the transition for me, like I, those guys are so good at what they do up there. And as you go up, so it's kind of, it makes, I'm not really flashy as a goalie. I kind of try to stay positionally sound and, um, use my athleticism when I have to, but that, to be honest, like those guys are so good at what they do. It's, it kind of simplifies it for you. So it, it's obviously the speed is good. Really like it's high. The, the shots are harder, but um, like if I'm like reading the plays, it's a, like, it's a little bit more, you can kind of read what's going to happen. So um, the, it was, I hadn't been on the ice since February 13th. So I think that was a bit more nerve wracking for me. Like when our school was done this year, we didn't have any ice. So I just kind of tried to work out and stay in shape and, I was waiting for some East coast opportunities and stuff. So like it was, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better situation besides that. It would have been nice to get on the ice a couple of times before, but that was, that is what it is. So, so um, what's that almost, I'm doing the math in my head, like almost six weeks between ice time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and called in the afternoon and walking into the office at five o'clock and oh, by the way, you're starting in the American hockey league. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. That's <laughs> so. <laughs> That's um I I tried to get on the ice a couple times. It was tough with playoffs and everything going on here. Um the LEC they didn't have any ice because of the basketball tournament that was going on. So it was um yeah, I just tried I just worked out every day trying to stay in shape and get ready for any any pro opportunities that came. So any words of advice from Hanu Toivinen? <laughs> yeah, he just said um like they he didn't know my game at all. I think um some of the guys were nervous, obviously. And rightfully so, like they didn't know who I was at all. They didn't know probably if I played hockey still. So um, he just said, keep it simple and kind of showed me what to expect from them. To be honest, it was a bit of a blur uh, when he was explaining it to me. A lot of things are going on through your head at that time. So um, I didn't feel nervous for the game. I just kind of 
just try to keep it like it was every day, like in a game every day and like try not to overthink it. I didn't have too much to lose uh, my thoughts in the process as well. So I just kind of wanted to make the most of it and see what I could, ha- what could happen. So I'm very thankful and blessed for how it did turn out. So any moments that stand out from the game itself? Like, is there was there like a, a pinch me moment or like I'm a here moment at any point along the way there? Um, I think when you're in the tunnel getting ready to go out, like it, you, you, I realize I'm like, okay, like this is this is something you work your whole life for. It was at the end, like just talking to my family it was pretty emotional just night because I've been through a lot through through hockey with just injuries and um, I got in a car accident and. 2016 that like took, put me out for a bit too. So like that was, uh, it was just, just thankful for the opportunity and that, um, I could get there. Right. And like, my hope is still one day to try to make national hockey league, like a lot of guys. So it's just kind of a cool opportunity. And I think when obviously it was over, I tried not to think about it too much and during the game, but I think when finally the buzzer went, it was huge sigh of relief and just, just thankful to God, honestly, for what happened that day. So. Well, give give our audience a little bit of a background, Taylor. You're 27 years old, like I said, playing at Trinity Western, but like like you said, there's there's like a couple gaps on the resume here where like there was some extended time off where you were away from the game from Sherwood Park originally, an area we're familiar with. A lot of some good goalies yeah. come out of Sherwood Park. Yeah, I'm sure you know. Uh, you probably know a few of them. So um, just just walk us through your background for those that don't know you and sort of the path that led to here and and where you're at. And like you said, when your university season finished up. You were looking for an opportunity to play. I'd be curious if any doors have opened as a result of the other night. Yeah, like um, I, I was a late bloomer, I guess. I, I never really played AAA. I have my, I, my second year was ever midget was my first year AAA ever. Um, so I was a late bloomer and then um, played junior B when I was 17 and then got an opportunity to play junior A um, my 18, 19, 20-year-old year. And then I was fortunate to play in Portage where we hosted a, hosted the RBC Cup and Unfortunately, that year, um, I was the number one ranked goalie in Canada, and then I ended up blowing my knee out and done. So I, I lost a few opportunities with the NCAA through that and um, kind of had to like start, start from scratch. No one was really willing to give me a chance with my knee. And so I played a year in the ACAC, was still recovering for that year from my knee. It took me about to the last two months of the season where I felt comfortable again to play. And then... Um, after that, that, that April, I got hit by a drunk driver. And, um, so that kind of put, I was concussed pretty bad and had to deal with some injuries through that. So that kind of delayed my next year. And when I transferred to U sports for the first year. And then, um, after that, it was just battling for an opportunity. We had some pretty good goalies with me at Nipissing. And, um, one of the guys was Brent Ryan. He's drafted Dallas stars, great guy. And so it was, it was always kind of a battle, but I got my opportunity there my last couple of years there. And then, the year, uh, my last year at Nipissing is when COVID happened. So didn't go pro that year or look to go pro. I Just one thing yeah, after yeah, another, yeah. eh? Yeah. Holy smoke. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a crazy ride, but I was fortunate enough um, to come here to Trinity. Uh, Barrett reached out and my brother was actually talking with the school as well. And he ended up deciding to go as well. So it was a pretty cool experience to play with my brother um, for the first time in our careers. And yeah, so it was, it was been a whirlwind, but yeah, no, I'm just, like I said, thankful I'm still playing and getting the opportunities I have. So I, right as of right now, I'm still waiting to see what's going to happen. I have to speak with the agent this week or tomorrow and kind of see if anything will open up. But yeah, just kind of going with it and seeing what happens. 
Well, I know uh, there were some people there watching that game that were impressed, uh, sort of poised under pressure. And when you know more about the situation and the fact you hadn't played in six weeks makes it even more impressive, Taylor. So congratulations on that. Uh, Everything you've been through to this point, I mean, do you reflect on that after the game? Like, is it emotional afterwards once you sort of get through the moment? Like, man, I did this. I know you had to prepare for a game the next day because it was back to back. But all that you've overcome to just get to that point did did you have a chance to reflect on that to spend time talking with family because it's been a hell of a journey yeah like it's um it definitely it was it was and um it it, i had to really it took me a couple days to process even i think maybe last couple days that everything that's happened um i wouldn't change anything about my past because it's made me who i am today and um i definitely wouldn't be the person i am if i hadn't gone through that stuff so I'm thankful for what did transpire in my past. And the thing is, is like, it's not over. That's, that's kind of what my family and me believe and with all of us. And so we're fortunate. My dad played some pro football and basketball. So he's kind of always given us some guidance and stuff. And um, I, I just, I'm not going to give up. Right. I'm just going to keep working hard and see what happens. So um, no, I just, like I said, very thankful uh, and blessed for what happened and, something i'll never forget obviously so it's it's pretty cool yeah awesome and a great story and taylor great approach to it and we're thankful that you took the time to talk with us about it on the ingle radio podcast and i look forward to keeping tabs on what's next and seeing you around especially the fact you're just i mean you're practically down the road here in white rock i look forward to keeping in touch and connecting and following along and looking for the next big moment for you awesome thanks kevin for having me again appreciate it Living our dream, living our dream, not just the three of us, but so many people that listen to this podcast. That's what happened for Taylor Joseph. Yeah. And I think hopefully an opportunity, as you talked about at the end, maybe there will be another opportunity, whether it's in the ECHL or elsewhere to sort of continue that dream for him. He is done in university. And I think, you know, if you look up his hockey DB page and you look at, you know, this season with Trinity Western University, you see the raw numbers and you know, the save percentage is, you know, maybe doesn't jump off the page as being exceptional. But what most people don't know is that this is Trinity Western's first year playing in the sort of highest level of Canadian university hockey, U sports. And so he's up against like powerhouse. We had Zach Sawchenko on the show just a few weeks ago playing with the San Jose Sharks. He comes from the University of Alberta powerhouse program. Uh, Taylor played games against them where he told me he was seeing 65 shots. So University of British Columbia, like teams that are just loaded with ex-CHL players, real high-end hockey. Again, we've talked about this. Logan Thompson, you mentioned to Darren, sort of helped save over the last you know week to 10 days, helped save the Vegas Golden Knights season after just a couple years removed from Brock University. Like this is good hockey. And Taylor's team was, they were up against it on a lot of nights this year and he kind of kept them in it. So um, hopefully, you know, he does get an opportunity and some of the scouts out there as they're looking around, take a look at the, the film and not just the raw numbers and give him a shot. Cause as he showed in that first game with, with the Marlies, 34 saves on 37 shots and a, in a win in his first AHL start after not being on the ice for six weeks, obviously there, there's something there. And so hopefully he gets another opportunity. And he actually got two starts and I know he didn't uh, finish the, the next game, but it wasn't like where he, he gave up a ton the other goaltender arrived for the for the second period uh so he came out but uh, he allowed what two and ten that's 
that's not bad at, at all. A lot of guys are down two nothing after. Thatcher Demko was down two nothing uh, after a period yeah, uh, uh, against Vegas uh, on the night that we record this. It was exciting, guys. Yes. I found out it was happening, and I put the radio on and listened to most of the game, and it was awesome at the end because first off, they were under siege trying to hold this game together to try and get the win, and uh, I believe the goaltender was pulled at the other end as well, and then the announcers at the end of the game who called a brilliant game made it very exciting uh finished off with saying do you start him next game you have to start him <laughs> next game i mean he earned it and yeah there were some circumstances involved but good for him it was awesome that's fantastic and hey and like not just next game but next night so that was back to backs like no ice time for six weeks make your first ahl start and right back in the net the next night it was a back-to-back situation for abbotsford and toronto Hutch, you uh, you you pulled a great story too, uh, an incredible accomplishment out of that as well. You have a radio, yeah, exactly. Okay, I was streaming it. Ah, there <laughs> we go. You were trying to trying to really go old school, weren't you, with leather pads yeah. and listen listen to the transistor radio. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wish I had one because I've been to a bunch of junior hockey games. Oh, and you see the odd super fan listening to the broadcast as you're sitting in the room. Yeah, because there's you know there's no jumbotron with the replays. There's you yeah. just don't have the same feedback you do. So I actually kind of wish I had the old AM transistor. That's really good. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and how, you have one. I have one. I have a little tiny Sony does. AM FM with an earphone because when I cover the Vancouver Canucks, one thing that I can't do is be more than one person. And usually, quite often in a third period, especially a close game. There are times when you have your head down and you're writing your story because I have to file a story literally within a minute of the final buzzer when the game ends, even if it's in overtime, even if it's in a shootout, and then be down near the locker rooms in 10 minutes. So when you put your head down to write, it's nice to have, I can't keep an eye on the game all the time, but if I've got the local broadcast in my ear on the radio, I can hear what's going on. And of course, most radio broadcasts, and especially here in Vancouver, like, They've got the pregame show, the postgame show. All those people have eyes on the game. So if somebody leaves the game, somebody goes to the dressing room for an injury or whatever, and, and again, I've got my head down looking at my computer writing my story, it helps me keep jobs of it. So I, too, have an AM, FM radio. Wow. Not to, not to upstage uh, Taylor Joseph, but we've, we've really Technology. expanded uh, the way we do things uh, around here. And our dedication, uh, Hutch is... Uh, is dialing up the stream uh, of this situation and Woody's got the AM uh, radio going uh, as he, as he covers the game. And, and we also uh, lean on our friends to bring you some really cool interviews like uh, the Kevin Poulin conversation that we've got uh, coming up in a second. Uh, just how did the relationship come about that, that Kevin joined us on the show today? I think that one's full credit to Hutch. Well, both of us really, uh, I actually honestly don't know. I think way back in the early days of in goal, uh, Marco Marciano, who is now the development coach for the Montreal Canadians, uh, reached out and we began a few conversations and he was, uh, at the time. And I think still selling a product called blocker sleeve, sort of a Velcro thing that sits over top of your blocker so that. Uh, if you're doing a little bit of ball toss, you, you don't take the first ball and put it off into the corner of the room and can't go get it. 
um, a really nice little training tool. And I think he wanted to share that with me. And and then over the years, we've just sort of kept a relationship up. I'll, he'll send me some video, a few things. We talk about them. Um, not shy to say I've sent a few videos of my kid doing a few things and he's told me some stuff about it. And, uh, when we've been in Montreal, we've had the opportunity to, uh, spend a little bit of time and have a few conversations. We were on the ice with him, uh, both for some training sessions where he does some really unique sort of edge work, uh, stuff with his goaltenders. He's got a, a, a neat look at things. He was, um, on the ice when Kevin and I were lucky enough to be there for a day with CCM as they were unveiling the, the new gear happened to be that year that they made the big changes to the sizing of the gear. We got to be on the ice when guys like Marc-Andre Fleury and and Jiggy and Corey Crawford were getting their new gear for the very first time. Uh, Jonathan Bernier as well. And Marco was there as the goaltending coach just to run a few drills for all of these guys. And he had uh, Marc-Andre Fleury doing um, basically a Russian dance as he was firing pucks at his gloves to catch. So a little bit of the old school Vladislav Trechak stuff. Um, fascinating guy Marco is, and <clears throat> we've stayed in touch. And then when we found out that uh, they were coming into town to be with Abbotsford, just sent him a note and... We got together, had lunch together, and then uh, went out and watched the practice that they had out in Abbotsford. And he, as always, was happy to uh, get his guys to come and spend some time with us. Uh, Kevin Poulin, Caden Primo, many other people have been on the podcast as a result of uh, Marco as well, including Jonathan Bernier, who's uh, both been on the podcast and done a bunch of drills. So many thanks to Marco for all that he's done for us, and uh, including Kevin Poulin, I'm sure at some point in the near future, Caden Primo as well. Woody, your conversation is uh, is uh, covers a, a lot of lot of different things. One, the modern puck tracking and and different uh, areas that he's focused on now, but also uh, when Kevin broke into the National Hockey League in in uh, really uh, not exactly the most stable uh, environment on on Long Island. Yeah, I know some some tough circumstances, some tough situations. Like early in his career, you know, a team and a franchise that seemed hell-bent sometimes, it seems, on having too many goalies at each level, not just in the NHL. Remember when they always they, they had a tendency to get stuck with three and then also in the American League. and um, But a lot of great sort of lessons for him learned along the way. He talks a little bit about our good friend Sudarshan Maharaj, who was a part of the Islanders when he first got there. Um, some great lessons from his time overseas and even this year working with Marco. So as much as this is uh, an interview that talks a lot about a journey that Goes all over the place. Let's not forget bronze medal with Canada at the 2018 Winter Olympics. Um, Spengler Cup gold medal wearing that Hockey Canada jersey or playing for Canada at the Spengler Cup. Uh, overseas in Europe for several years and now back into North America. There's some great anecdotes and some great stories about the journey, but also a lot of lessons. And including this year, the one that jumped out to me was just, you know, I guess... You know, maybe he was waiting till the play was getting in in the zone before he was getting yeah. set. But just to be early and make sure you're setting up. And I know anybody can probably relate to that. You fall in that habit of sort of waiting a little too long and you end up getting behind. And so that was one of the things he talked about. And I think this interview is chock full of both uh, great stories, but also some great lessons that can be applied um, at pretty much every level, whether you're just getting started or you're moving your way up into junior, um, but also. Uh, as he's sort of working in a mentorship role now, even for a guy like Caden Primo, there are lessons that Kevin Poulin has learned and continues to learn um, that will help everyone become a better goaltender, including, and I almost forgot, this is one we got to get into a little bit more, but the idea that you can get better playing behind a really crappy team, like that can be seen as a positive, something he learned when he was in junior. So 
All that and a whole lot more in this week's interview with Kevin Poulin. Really excited to welcome to the Ingle Radio podcast for the first time, Kevin Poulin, who is in town this weekend uh, with the Laval Rocket. Kevin, thank you so much for making the time to join us, uh, especially on a game day. Um, Really appreciate this. Your career has gone in so many different directions. You've seen and played at all levels that I was almost uncertain where to start. But let's start right now with uh, your role with Laval, obviously playing and competing and playing well still. But also, are you transitioning? Is there a mentorship component? When I see you alongside a young guy like Caden Primor, are you trying to help show him the ropes while still competing with him um, for starts and playing time? How's that process been for you? Uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, Primo is such a, a great goaltender. He's a great kid as well. And, uh, you know, experience comes with playing. And sometimes it's, it's tough. Sometimes it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. And for me, I just I'm trying to help him whenever it's not going the way he wants. And uh, as a goalie, sometimes it's frustrating because you, you're the only one out there. It's a it's a you know it's a game within the game. Um, so the other guys don't understand what you're going through. But you know, like I, like you said, like I've been been playing pro in twelve for twelve years now. I've been all over. I've seen a lot of, a lot of things. So uh yeah so sometimes i just you know talk to him a little bit and uh hey like keep up or uh, you're you're playing big you know some some keywords sometimes that help you in, in your game have you discovered over all these years and all these different stops and all those different experiences when you talk about keywords and things that you know maybe you think might help him you know walk us through where you're at with your game are there keywords for you that you've learned over the years we've seen different guys at different stages of their career sometimes they'll write them on a blocker like things that as they discover what their foundation is little tips and tricks to help make sure they stick with it and get back to it if it drifts uh for me at the this stage of my career it's mostly i just like to have the my eyes on the puck have good reads and uh, less is more a little bit like, um, you know, I had some injuries and uh, I was a little slower than when I was uh, 20 years old, but it's having fun as well. Just have fun. Sometimes we get into our own head and it's spirals. And I think just by having fun, you bring back the need to learn more or, you know, the you're enjoying going to the rink you're enjoying more and more so you're getting more out of your training or you know everything surrounding the goalie position have there been points because there were times where you were part of three goalie rotations with the islanders you've like you said you've seen a lot you've done a lot you've been in some tough situations that any goalie would you know like it's just three doesn't go into two right like there there's only two nets and so you've been part of that were there times where you had to remind yourself, like, is that a lesson when you talk about having fun and enjoying it, fueling your game? Was that a lesson you had to learn over time? And there were, were there points where that was really tough to sort of step back and see it? Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my time with the Anders wasn't easy sometimes. Uh, you, we had a lot of goalies and every year I felt like we, the team was going to get a new, another goalie and another goalie. And, uh, it was very frustrating when I was younger and especially when you're younger, you want to play and you don't want to, you want to be on the ice. And now I'm looking back, I, it wasn't like a fun time, but it was, I, I learned so much from it. 
and now it's just you know ha just have having fun and like i said when you're a young goalie sometimes you don't understand and it's a business and there's only two goalies like you said and uh but if you're having fun it will uh it will show and it, it will help you in the long run do you think it helps with teammates too and building relationships like like you're such a part of the team in a practice situation we all know that practices aren't always fun for goalies but if you try and have some fun and does can that help you know in terms of getting the support of teammates as well and, and making sure that you know they're sort of battling for you when it is time to maybe not have fun but go to work uh yeah yeah i mean uh you know if there's a drill that you're not having fun i think you just have to like make it fun or you know you just have fun with the with the guys and laugh for a little bit but at the same time you got to work hard and and always uh try to find something to to improve and but yeah if you're having fun it, it's just makes it easier and uh it, it makes the team uh, more um you know tied together and they will go to battle for you and uh, you'll you know when they're not having a good night you're you're going to battle for them as well just sticking with right now you talk about less is more and learning that process i think it's it's something that some guys, again, it takes a while to sort of get there. What are there things you still work on? I mean, the game's always evolving. The position's always evolving. You, like you said, you played 12 years. You've got, you've got an Olympic medal with Canada. Like you've done so much and yet you're still 31. The game changes around you. What are some of the things that you're trying to work on, say now with, with, with a goalie coach like Marco Marciano with Lavelle? Uh, right now, I think the biggest thing that we're working on is just, um, you know, be ready on zone entry. Uh, I used to be more relaxed, you know, like wait and then get ready once in, they're in the zone. I think now it's before the blue line, be ready. If you're ready, you'll be more sharp on, you know, a pass across. You'll you'll beat the pass. You'll be ready. It's going to be easier than, you know, when, uh, when they start with the zone entry and you're already late, then, you know, everything is, you're catching up after that. And, uh, having uh, good good reads on uh, on shots, good tracking. Tracking has been an uh, important part of uh, what we've been working, me and Marco. And just be ready. If, uh, if my feet are, are ready and my tracking is on point, uh, usually I'm having a good night. Talk about reads. They're experience-based for the most part, right? You see different situations. You sort of learn what's coming based on past experience. Is that something that, you know... We've seen over the years, uh, young goalies come in with so much talent and they move so well. Um, but sometimes that ability to learn and process and read the game can take a little longer. Are there things you've used to, other than experience, to, to improve that? Like, does, do you think video can help? Are there any things you can do to, you know, to get better at reading the game? It's mostly experience. You know, you've been in that situation before. You've been scored on on that situation on you know so you're learning through uh <laughs> getting uh, scored against but i think for me i do a lot of videos for um on on their power play i think it's yeah. uh it's important to know what they're doing and their their tendency because that's the you know usually it's the time that you get more shots and more zone time and all this and the rest is just experience, you know, it, no one is uh, reinventing the game. It's always, you know, the same three, four options and 
second wave and everything else so you know you know like we do team meetings and we're, we have videos so you i just look with their tendency real quick and then i uh, for me it's just focusing uh, like i said getting ready once they're in the zone good tracking and um, that's it there's only so many different patterns you have to worry about right i guess eventually the patterns start to repeat themselves when you say tracking, like walk me through, it's a catchphrase that we've heard a lot of difference. Like what to you is tracking um, and, and what's changed in terms of what you think of tracking and tracking well um, working with Marco this year? For me, tracking is, um, it's literally watching the puck all the way through, like all the way in my glove or all the way to my blocker. And I like to make the save in front of me instead of on the side. So you're, you know, you're cutting more angles that way. And uh, if there's a rebound, it's in front of you. So it's easier to readjust or uh, control. Also just uh, sort of making sure you keep, is that something that maybe wasn't there in the past and something you've worked on and opposed to, you know, maybe turning on pucks and catching them at the side, trying to control that small space in front of you a little bit more. It seems to be a, not even, I don't even know if theory is the right word, but a, a, an approach that's evolved quite a bit over the last three, four years um, in terms of mindset. And that, I guess the Swedes, I think, call it box control, like that small little net in front of you instead of the big one behind you. Yeah. Uh, well, I started to work with Marco uh, four or five years ago during the okay. summertime. So I, I knew Marco from before. Well, I actually know Marco since I was uh, 15, I think. So <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been a long time. But it's the first time together in in uh, a season. But yeah, we've been working on that. Um, I used to make save on the side, and you know, it was more like an old school approach. Uh, like I said, it's been twelve years, so I was used. Uh, I was used to like the VH, and uh, you know, uh, we talked about it. The game evolved, so, so I think that's one part of my game I've been working on is the tracking, making the save in front of me. And uh, yeah, angle to uh, you know the the playing the my angles with the shuffles instead of just I used to just I didn't have a set angle spot. I would just like shuffle, shuffle, shuffle to the post. Now it's more like you start in the middle. You have the the dot, the the blue line, the other blue line, hash mark, and then you're at the post. So I think that's something I've been working with Marco a lot and. Uh, during the past uh, summertime, and uh, it's something I I, uh, I still like to to work on sometimes. Help with uh, I mean the games become so lateral, so east west for the attacks. I'm imagining that that's a, a an increasingly important part of the position is being able to hit those spots and control those movements when you're going side to side. Yeah, I think the the game is is faster as well, and. Uh, yeah. Guys are, uh, you know, we've seen over the past guys been shooting from bad angles a lot too. So uh, that's something we have to work on uh, as goalies. <laughs> so, like I said, it's always evolving. It's what I love about the position. Tell me how you, like, how did, how did you fall in love with the position? How'd you get started? Taking it way back here. Uh, way back, I would just remember watching Dominic Ashek. It was, uh, you know, no, <laughs> no control. It was just, uh, making those big saves uh, just made me fall in love with the, the, the game. I used to be a defenseman uh, playing hockey growing up. I was uh, playing D and uh, I just remember I always, it, like it wasn't the gear, it was more like the like how flashy it was and how like fun it looked to make those saves. And 
so I just uh, you know started being goalie like in a plain basement uh, at my house, and then uh, one year I told my dad, I'm like, hey dad, I wanna I wanna be a goalie. <laughs> he looked at me like, really? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wanna be, I wanna play goalie. So then the the year after, I, uh, yeah, first year as a goalie, I think I was around ten years old. Nice. I was gonna say, like, I don't know if you, if, if if a kid from Montreal, are you allowed to admit that it was Dominic Kashuk? Isn't it supposed to be Marty or Patrick or? I love it. No, it was really Dominic Ashik. I remember. I, I I love watching the other guys too, my Marty and Patty and even uh, Jaguar when he was uh, in Hanheim. And uh, later on, uh, Theodore in Montreal, he he had that uh, you know flashy thing as well. You know, the make the big club saves and uh, scrambling and making the, the the last minute save. So uh, little swagger. But it, it's it, it really started with uh, yeah Dominic Ashek and uh, it's funny because I took thirty nine this year and I forgot he had thirty nine and uh, it was just uh, yeah <laughs> but uh, our game is uh, I you I my first couple of years I would just play goalie like him like it was just all over the place and uh, I think it actually developed my uh, hockey sense playing that way like last control it was more all right do whatever you can to stop the puck and as uh, i got older it was more uh, structured to my game uh, midget and junior and even pro it's just keeping evolving well i was gonna say that's probably a good thing no like it doesn't sound like if you're playing like hashik you probably didn't have a lot of goalie coaching at that age you're only 10 or 11 you're learning how to just go out and play the game on instinct that that to me i think Feels like it should be a positive. Yeah, um, no, it definitely helped me in my career. Um, I feel like I see those young goalies now; they're so structured, and you look at them and they play so well. But sometimes that big save or your hockey sense is not as as uh, tested or uh, evolved when you you always rely on structure and body position. I think you have to do. Uh, a little bit of everything and then you can take whatever you want and make it in your toolkit right the game's just too dynamic to always not every every save can be perfect when the game is rarely perfect in front and of us every goal is different too maybe right. some guys need more structure and some young goalies need more um athleticism in this game so i think it's it, it's good to uh not always have just one way but practice a little, little bit of everything maybe so not the from, maybe not the two pad stack roll but having <laughs> fun in practice once in a while it's fun well so from starting at around 10 so that's that's probably around you know, i'm just trying to think like six years later you're in the qmjhl with victoriaville like that's a pretty quick transition how did your game evolve? Was it was there a coach that helped you add structure over the years? Did it start once you got to Victoriaville? It's a little bit more of that type of coaching influence um, to to get to where you, I mean, I guess it's a long process, but how that how did it start at the beginning there? Uh, I would say it, the first four years it was just like I said, having fun playing. I was watching goalies and. You know, it's just make like everything I can I can do to make the to stop the puck. But it started when I was in Midget Triple A, 
Um, so I had the, my first full-time goalie coach in midget. And um, so we were working, uh, you know, more like angle stuff and, and introducing more structure. And once I made the move to in junior, uh, my goalie coach, my goalie coach made a, I think he was good because he knew I was very athletic and, you know, making the split save and everything. So he kept me, kept me going in that direction, but we, uh, we talked about more structured and, we introduced, uh, you know, make like watching video for PK and watching my games and just uh, making some some adjustment to my game, which uh, helped me to transition into the pro after. And from there, you get drafted by the Islanders in 2008. Uh, do you remember? Like, was that like for you? Was that a go to the draft experience? What was your experience like with the NHL draft? It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun uh, in general. Uh, I didn't have the best year before uh, my draft year in, in Victor. We we just had a, a big year the year before, and it was a re- reconstruction year. So it was uh, <laughs> it was tough. But I, uh, you know, I was having 40 to 50 shots a game. And it was actually very good for my development to not be on a good team. So I can keep and and um, having a lot of shots. I was uh, playing a lot of games, uh, but yeah, when I was drafted, I remember it was by the Anders and uh, Sudzi. You know Sudzi? I he do was, know Sudzi. Uh, shooters, was, shooters uh, and Maharaj. Yeah, yeah. He was the uh, goalie consultant for them, and I remember having some good conversation with him. And uh, I remember he he love me as a goalie so when they picked me i was pretty happy to to had the chance to uh work with uh, sudzi uh, afterward yeah he's a past guest on the uh, on the ingo radio podcast and one of our favorites so that's awesome i forgot about i i my brain didn't work on that connection um transition into pro start start um you know start in the minors but you got a you got a pretty quick taste of the nhl early on um is that something where when you have that taste early on do you feel like you like is it a good thing or can it be a bad thing when you get to the highest level right away some guys have to wait a long time how did it play out for you and how do you think it affected you moving forward uh for me it was so i studied in bridgeport we uh, were three goalies we were doing the uh, three goalie rotation so one game you're playing, one game you're backing up, one game you're in the stands. That's so it tough. Was, it was literally like a, it was a, yeah, three goalie rotation. For me, I didn't mind it because it was my first year and it was going well. And then they decided the, um, Rolson was uh, with the Anders, Pietro was there, and they decided to trade Roley to Tampa Bay. Yep. So brought the uh, the start in Bridgeport up with the Anders, and uh, Ricky got hurt. Like I think two weeks later, and I made the move, and it it started pretty well. And like I said, Suzy was there, so he was he was helping me a lot with you know managing my game and and uh, be ready. But I got injured, so I I had a knee surgery, so I missed the so I played. I don't know. 12, 15 games, and then I had the surgery, missed the rest of the year. And then the next year, I started back in Bridgeport, uh, with, uh, and then they had three goalies on top, and we were three goalies in Bridgeport. 
but yeah, no, it was tough because I knew I could play in the NHL. Well, that's what I thought when I was younger. Like looking right. back, looking back, I was like, now I'm like, I should have been in the American League and playing more game and maybe work more on a couple things. But, but when you had like you, it's understandable, right? Because like I said, like you had a nine twenty four your first year in the NHL. Like I think anybody that goes up there and has that success, you're gonna you're automatically gonna think, hey, I'm ready for this. And yet, like we said, there's there's all kinds of lessons that are a part of that that path. Yeah, but not gonna lie, the sort like my knee injury uh, slowed me down. It took uh, I was six months out, so I came back during the summertime. But uh, I didn't feel good for a year at least, just like moving well on the ice and the be being pain free. So that took like half of the next year out. But I still got a couple of games here and there, even though we were <laughs> six goalies. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was a it was a rough second year in general. But um, yeah, says he was still there. And then the next year he left and um, it was a lockout year after that. And so things start to like things change in the organization that you're there a few more years. Um, after you left, you, you played a year in Stockton uh, and then started to move around a little bit. What was like, were there, was it frustrating that you didn't get more of a shot in the NHL at any period there? What were some of the decisions to, to maybe head overseas as well? Well, my last year, I started with the Anders, and uh, they sent me down, so I had to go through waivers. And Tampa Bay picked me up because Vasilevsky was hurt. So I was there for a month and a half, didn't play one game, sent me down to Syracuse. They had their two young goalies, so they were playing them. And then I got traded to Stockton, and uh, they had a couple of goalie. Uh, yeah, they had problems with the goalies, uh, injuries and stuff up in uh in calgary so i had uh, i played the rest of the, of the year there it was uh it was pretty fun it was a, a good spot but i was just uh i was just sick of mo- moving around and having a family and you know I, w- I wanted something more stable and i was not that close anymore to playing the nhl so i just decided to go play in, in russia and what was that experience like? Like, and you, like I said, it was there. Fr- like, when you look back at it now, is it frustrating? It just feels like we're never in maybe the right spot at the right time to get the right opportunity. You kept getting stuck in three goalie rotations. Like, is there any frustration about that, or do you look back at it differently now? Like, it just felt like looking at it, it's like, oh man, like if he's on a different team, he's playing, but he's stuck in this one, and there's three, and that's not easy when you don't get to play. Yeah, and uh, when when I got like during the lockout year, I I moved. I was with the Anders uh, most of the remaining of the season, and I started with the Anders the the year after. So I mean, I had my shot, and uh, what like we didn't we didn't do well. We had uh, our team wasn't we were you know bottom bottom of the standing and we were struggling for wins so i think it was it was uh it was hard mentally and so yeah when you don't win sometimes it goes quick uh, to the uh, the other goalies and if the goalie is not winning then you go to another one so it's part of being a goalie as well it's it's a tough business and uh, there's only uh, like i said there's only two spots on the team so sometimes it's you know the right time at the right 
the right spot at the right time and uh i had my chance and it wasn't working in in, in long island i wish i could have maybe had another shot somewhere else but at the same time it's uh it's it's like that for everyone so i was uh i was not frustrating to go in, in russia i was actually pretty excited for that new uh new adventure and you know go play in europe and experience something else and playing russia was something else <laughs> Well, you played Russia and then in the Ebel and then uh, in Switzerland as well. You played for Canada um, at a Spangler Cup uh, and won there. Like, what was the European experience like for you? You mentioned family. Were you, were you, did you have family with you at the time or were you alone at that point? No, the family came over every, uh, every year I was signing. But um, my first year was um, in Russia. It was, I had to adjust to the bigger ice and uh it took me times not gonna lie it was uh, it was a lot different i uh, struggled a little bit at the beginning but i i managed to uh play well at at the end and uh, they uh (laughs) they wanted to resign me and um but they were keeping the other goalies and i i wanted to play more and so and i knew the Olympics were coming and they were talking about, you know, having guys playing in Europe. So I, I signed in, uh, in Zagreb when they were in the Austrian league, um, just to stay, stay ready. And then after that, I signed in, in Switzerland. Well, I was going to, I was wondering about that. How much of those decisions to stay over there was about, you know, the first the Spangler cup, but then ultimately the chance to play for the Olympics to, to wear the Canada Jersey on an, at an Olympic stage and to, and to win a medal. What was that experience like, and was that part of the reason you stayed in Europe? Um, it was to not resign with Russia. Um, long story short, they, I played for the Kazakh team and the, um, you know, when you play there for a couple of years, they, give you a passport and so i didn't want to i i wanted to get my canadian passport so that's of why course. i left and um but it was pretty late and all like as a goalie there's only two spot and especially an import goalie it's pretty tough to to sign some at some places because they already have their yeah. goalie so that's why i signed in zagreb just to it was like a week by week contract until i find something else uh but it was um yeah so i signed in in switzerland and it was the the olympics it was um it was an amazing experience just wearing team canada being with canadian athletes in in the olympics i knew about uh, a lot of other athletes uh michael kingsbury uh tessa virtue we all uh work out at the same uh, gym in montreal so it was pretty fun to uh, be there with them and you know playing hockey the hockey schedule is pretty busy, though. It's uh, from the start to all the way to the finish. So, um, but it was fun. It was fun to be able to have the chance to play for a medal. And uh, people don't understand because it's usually, you know, it's the superstars that go for Team Canada. It's Team Canada. Oh, yeah, they always win or they always in the final. But that year, it was like uh, every country was pretty much even. Uh, we saw it this year. It's tougher than uh, than it looks to you know win a medal when the field is even. Where's the medal? 
I got to ask, where is it got a special place? Is it on display? Is it? Uh, it's uh, at my house. Uh, we have like a little, uh, they gave a little box with it with the yeah. Pyeongchang logo and everything. And you open it and it's all uh, folder, folded in there. So yeah, with that, with the uh, the Team Canada jersey as well that I wore. So it's uh and i still have the gear too in the in the basement <laughs> oh nice i was like gonna make a little setup at, at one point like a little display of your olympic gear i love it yeah i think i'm gonna once i retired I'm, i'll do a little basement i have two boys so i uh, will put the you know the all the jerseys and uh you know um, equipment and and sticks and mask i'm big on uh, keeping my mask so I have all my masks since I was in junior. So yeah, that's a, it's a pretty good uh, collection. Oh, that's awesome. I can't one day you're gonna have to share that when, when you get to that point, we're going to need to see a picture when you ultimately get it put together. Cause that'll, that I'm guessing that will just look spectacular. Yeah. 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 I will send you a picture for sure. The ultimate backdrop for zoom. Hopefully we're not still in a zoom world by then. Um, so did you, see, you played one more year in Europe and then you came back. What what was the thinking? Um, obviously, you still want to keep still playing and still playing well. What's, uh, what was the thought process of, uh, you know, you've, you went back and forth. You went back to Sweden again for your last season. But I'm guessing that was if that was pandemic related, like it's been such a weird world for goalies and jobs yeah. can be so hard to come by. What's the mindset the last so, couple of years? Right before the uh, pandemic, I was uh, working out. It was August. And I uh, tear my uh, Achilles tendon completely. So I uh, say so that's in August. So I didn't come back till I'd say December, November, December. I signed with uh, Grand Rapid, PTO, go back on the ice. Uh, they had, uh, Bernie was injured. He came back, they released me, and then I signed with uh, Ontario. But um, yeah, that was a, it was a t- another tough uh, recovery from injury, uh, moving around. And uh, I remember doing two-on-ones and I couldn't push to the other side almost. I was just so weak. Uh, but then the pandi- pandemic hit and uh, I remember Sweden, my, they called my agent right away. And they're like, hey, we need a goalie. We're trying. To, it was in the Alsvenskan, so the second league. They yeah. were trying to go back up in the, the SHL. So they were having a good budget and they were making a good team. So I said, Hey, why not? Like it's uh, the pandemic. There is a little more uh, relaxed, you know, with the mask and the restaurant were open and the malls and stores. So I, I said, yeah, why not? It's going to be better for uh, my family. And, you know, I can go and, and play hockey and, and be sure so, but it was a pretty good experience. It was uh, up north, though, so the you don't see the the sun uh, sunlight too too much too much during the winter time. Now and and then back back this year um, with uh, with Laval and reunited with Marco, who you said you've worked four or five years with, and having a really good season. Like, how, like what, what's the mindset at this point? Just keep going because you're playing well. I mean, I think the last time I looked was like a, rolling a nine twenty six in the American Hockey League, which is not easy to do, especially the AHL right now with players in and out. It's become quite a scrambly and difficult league for goalies, especially established veteran goalies who, you know, like you, you talk about the importance of reads. I would imagine that as the play gets a little more sort of scrambly, it's harder to sort of trust those reads. In some way, the game's probably easier at the NHL level based on those reads. Well, 
for me, I, I decided to sign back with Laval because it was uh, my hometown and I have two, uh, two young boys, but they're, they're getting older. So um, I think it was time for, for me to co- come back in, in North America and Laval was uh, looking for, uh, you know, a fifth goalie at the moment to uh, um, a veteran goalie to be there if there was anything, if there's any injuries or problem. And, you know, with COVID, it's, it was just a matter of time. And uh, so started the season in, in, the, in the East Coast with um, Trois-Rivières. And I mean, uh, talking about reads, that's another, uh, that's another story down there. It's, that's, <laughs> that's, it's, it's, it's a tough one for goalies, eh? It's so scrambly. And I was like, oh my God, it was my first experience in the East Coast. So I had to adjust, but then uh, we had a couple injuries and, and COVID hit. So I was uh, back in Laval and just working with Marco, he makes it so much simple and easy. So for me, I'm just, all right. Like, like I said, like what you need to be successful is just be ready. have good reads and just tracking and, you know, compete. That's a big thing too. Is it, I mean, does it take 12 years to get to that simple? Like as much, as easy as you make it sound, there's probably a lot of young guys that are like, it can't be that easy. I mean, yeah. I mean, he knows my experience. So sometimes maybe he, he keep it simple because he doesn't have to elaborate on, you know, this or that. So he, he knows I've been in that situation. Uh, but I mean, he's a great goalie coach. He does, uh, he goes above and beyond for, you know, his goalies and, so no, it's fun. It's fun to work with him and, and Prime too. It's uh, we have a good group of uh, of goalies working together. Last one. How old are your boys? Like, are they at an age now where they can appreciate what Dad does a little bit more? Like getting to see you play in front of the hometown in Laval. Like, what's what's that? What that? It's got to be a pretty neat experience. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, my oldest one is he's uh, eight. Uh, he just turned eight last weekend, and uh, my youngest he's uh, five. So they know what dad does now. They understand. They're old enough to sort of understand this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole school knows what I'm doing. <laughs> so now the question becomes, do they play or will, and will they be allowed to be goalies? Well, just like you uh, asked your dad and he looked at yeah. you funny. What's going to be that look? Yeah, I think my oldest one, he wants to be a goalie next season. And I'm trying to slow him down. I'm like, hey, you got to, you know, it's good to be a D so you can understand the game from another angle. Not, you know, just be a goalie, but. Yeah, if he's happy to be a goalie, he'll be a goalie, and uh, I'll uh, try to uh, teach him a couple tricks. Uh, but uh, you know, let him uh, make his mistake as well. Hey, last one. Um, I this goes way back to earlier in the interview, but uh, I meant to ask it when you mentioned it, and then we started talking about Sudzy, and I got sidetracked. But you talked about that last year in junior before you got drafted. And you had had a good team the year before, but it was a down year. And you said that it was good for your development to be on a bad team. So a team where you saw lots of shots. And I just wanted to pick at that thread a little bit because I actually had a, had a, a Russian goaltender tell us recently that that's one of the things they do in Russia, that they put really good goalies on bad teams at young ages so they can have that experience. Do you, you see some value there in terms of, you know, maybe if we're always on good teams, we don't, we don't learn as much as we might if we're stuck behind a team that's giving up a ton of shots and a ton of chances. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's good for gaming and it's good for your head as well because you can, you know, you, you create um, like a shell or, you know, you, you get strong mentally as well because if it's always easy, then you're, you know, you experience uh, struggle at the beginning of your pro career, then it's it's something new. If you go back in junior and you struggle and you have, you know, 40 shots, 50 shots or uh, you're like, yeah, I've been in that situation. I know what to do and and just keep going and keep um, keep playing. My, for me, the biggest thing was when I was with a good team and only having 20 shots, it was like, oh, uh, what's going on here? Like, I need more shots to be like stay in the game. But uh, it's uh, it's not as bad. Uh, not a big trouble, actually. Did you have to make some adjustments? Because that's another one we see a lot. Like, it's hard sometimes. Everybody, yeah. if you're not a goalie and someone tells you, hey, like, an easier, less shots should be easier, and you're a goalie and you're like, no, no, not always, but nobody else believes us. It's hard. Yeah, it, it, we should have a extra stats for, like, uh, you know, dangerous shots and so to see, like, what's really... Because sometimes, you know, you can have a shot from outside the zone and it's straight in the middle and it's an easy shot, but... It's like warm-up. Yeah, but if you have uh, 20 shots and you have, I don't know, uh, 12 grade A Hard chance, one. then it's, yeah. a, it's, 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 it's a tough game. But for me, I think uh, when I have, uh, I wouldn't say easier net, but less shots, it's just, I like to skate around. I like to play the puck a lot. Just keep me in it. Yeah, just be ready whenever they enter the zone and beat the pass and be there. And if I'm there, it's, they have nothing to shoot. Sometimes they don't shoot, so uh but yeah no for me it's just really uh just to focus on on what i can do and if they shoot the puck or not it's uh, up to them kevin i've really enjoyed this conversation i can't believe 12 years in the league and i haven't had a chance to meet you before this uh really enjoyed it really enjoyed meeting you the other day really appreciate your time today all the best the rest of the season and thanks so much for being a part of the ingle radio podcast thank you for having me it was a pleasure just an interesting honest conversation is is the way that i would uh describe that a uh, little back and forth and and you teed it up going into it about uh readiness uh as the puck uh, gets approaches the the blue line and and comes into the zone and how kevin's changed his approach there I, i'm curious when if you're standing on your goal line Back uh, touching or, or right right near the crossbar. When do you leave your your crease to to get ready? Is there a, an industry a positional standard? Uh, is it at the other team's blue line where you start to come out and then you have to slide left or right if they make a cross ring pass? Is it at the red line? Is it is it just as they approach the blue line? I, I I'm genuinely curious here, Woody. Well, I would think as we learned from Kevin Poulin that if it's when they cross the blue line, you're probably a little too late. Right. Like that. Right. I think that's that's the first rule. And I don't know if there are any absolutes like there are no absolutes in goaltending, really. And I think it would probably depend on, you know, for the most part, how you like if you're a guy that comes out and then retreats because it's a rush chance, then you probably need to be out a little early um, for me, for example. And not that anyone should ever use me as an example for anything when it comes to goaltending. But my mindset is usually 
as it's approaching center, I'm sort of at the top edge of my crease and sort of establishing a position on where it enters into the blue line so I can be set. And then if it comes down the wall, I just sort of try and track down and and sort of stay on it on the same side. If there's a pass, I'm set and ready for it. Just, I don't know, ready and on it early. But I kind of agree with Kevin that if you're in the zone, if it's in the zone before you're in that position, there's a good chance you're behind and all it takes is one quick pass and you're chasing a little bit. Hutch, do you have a thought? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a level of awareness when the puck is anywhere in the rink. Um, do you guys ever get to those extremes when you're young kids? Well, Kevin, you didn't start till you're in your 30s, but Darren is a young kid. I remember I exactly what you're going to say. You're always following ready. the puck everywhere yeah. on yeah. the ice. Yeah, exactly. And, and I knew I've seen exactly kids what you were going to say. Yeah. And I've seen kids when there's a face off at center ice or even at the far end, you know, in the ready position as if there might be a shot right off the draw from the other end. Um, relax. Be aware of what's happening when the puck is on the other in the other end of the ice. Uh, for me, it's I, I think of it as half ready as it's crossing center ice, ready for something to happen. But then I always encourage that when the puck crosses the blue line, you're ready to make a save at any time. And that might mean that you're in a stance that's a little taller and a little more relaxed as it crosses the blue line, but you're basically ready for whatever happens. And I think there's a read there as well for what's happening as the puck crosses the blue line for how prepared you are, whether you're fully ready for save execution or not but uh, that's sort of been my guideline i don't know that i've ever thought of when i leave the goal line um in in that respect guys i'd have to i got to get back on the ice now and have my the wheels turning as i'm out there i like i to, like i said to me it's like top edge of the crease or maybe heels on the edge of the crease depending on what whether we're looking at an odd man rush or a peer rush situation but i think that's the one thing i never said that i probably should have made clear I'm not in a save execution stance. I'm not in a save stance as that happens. I'm I'm in a pretty narrow upright stance even as it crosses the blue line because I feel like if I'm ready and on that puck early as it crosses the blue line, even if they shoot as they cross, you can react out of a high, tall stance easily. Like It's not really in the danger zone at that point as it crosses into the blue line. But so that when I say ready, I don't mean I'm in save execution stance. I'm just sort of paying attention on the puck and ready to move. I'm the Ken Dryden stance, like leaning on my stick. Yeah. As it comes into the zone. That might explain a few things. Yeah. I'm not tall enough. (laughs) Might explain a few things. (laughs) I'm going to buy a Bauer Hyperlite just so I can do that. (laughs) Yes, you will. You'll feel amazing, like so confident and tall and big and intimidating. I tried so hard as a kid. My my stick would be about six feet out in front of me just so that I could sort of angle it just right so I could lean on top of my stick. <laughs> and then you guys put too much weight on it and you fall flat in your head. <laughs> well, I still do that when I'm coaching. I literally cut my stick for coaching just so that I can do that. It has nothing to do with how I handle the puck or shoot the puck. It's can I lean on it properly while coaching? <laughs> You're so vain. Woody's supposed to be that guy on this podcast. Yeah. I'm just You guys and your old Ken Dryden leaning on the stick stories. And here's here I am, the young guy, and I've just got it tattooed all over my left arm. Yeah. That's uh that's awesome. Um, this has been great. Uh Taylor was uh incredible. Uh Kevin, uh fascinating story, and I love how he's still learning and still soaking up the the knowledge of the game and the slr3 line uh, some some real exciting stuff coming out of that uh conversation 
about what they, their, their gloves have always been amazing. Uh, I've always loved them. Uh, but, uh, to hear the, the progress in the pads, pads, uh, is, uh, is also pretty good. See, Woody, you got me, you got me going on this now. And I, I blame you for that, for being a smart Alec. <laughs> He's holding up his hands. There's only so much I can do. Uh, what's going on, uh, over at, uh, the site right now? We got some pro reads coming up every week. We had uh, we went back to Curtis McElhenney for his last pro read last week. We had part two, and there'll be more coming. And some really good feedback, actually, on our series with Seamus Kodak of the Buffalo Sabres and Ukopeko Lukanen. Uh, a lot of sort of, you know, basic crease movement patterns, five pucks, four pucks, set up around various areas of the crease. And just, you know, some ideas that, you know, I thought... It's refreshing sometimes. We get a little too complicated with the drills. These are nice and simple. They can be applied if you're like a new goaltender just starting out, whether it's beer league, adult, or just a kid getting started in the crease. Or as we see, you know, a top prospect like Google Pekalukin, and these drills have relevance. And so I love that this is a series where simple movement patterns apply at every level. And so part two of that is already on the site at ingolmag.com. And part three will be coming out this week. We're going to mix it up a little bit with some unique warm-up drills this week. And yeah, I look forward to sharing that with everyone else. And again, thanks Seamus Kotick for uh, being so open and sharing these things with the rest of us. His goal all along was to help goalies, especially the younger ones, see some of these examples of the work pros do and how it can be done at every level. And I think he's accomplished that nicely with uh, the way he walks us through these drills. I'll leave you with this story. And I think that there's uh, there's some lesson here or maybe some inspiration to draw from here uh, for older goaltenders or professional goaltenders. I was watching a 10-year-old game, not a 10-year-old game, but a group of 10-year-olds that were playing in a tournament uh, before I I went into the studio today. And the goaltender in the final uh, made this sliding save uh, with his glove uh, just in the second period, but it was a great save. And he got up and he chest bumped both of his defensemen. And I, that, that is the coolest thing. One goal he's never really celebrate uh, save. They're, they're, keep it keep it cool. But he just jumped right up and chest bumped both of his defensemen, and then they went and dropped the puck again. And I thought that was uh, that was neat. And I, I don't know whether Woody you do that or not. You would want to get chirped or somebody shooting at your head, but I think it'd be cool. Hey, listen to me. That goes back to Mark Andre Fleury. And yes. the lesson we got from him years ago, and we keep hearing it apply to a lot of different guys, you got to have fun out there. We see Flurry having fun in Minnesota. What did Kevin Poulin talk about? Having fun, yeah. right? Like rediscovering that fun part of the game. And um, we can do all the technical drill work we want. We can focus on it. We can do mental skills training. We can do all these things. But man, it's such a great position. If you don't find a way to enjoy it, um, there's probably something wrong in the uh, in the equation. So try and make sure you keep that smile on your face, no matter how it's going out there. Uh, and even if that means mixing in the odd chest bump. Let me know how it goes. If you want to do it, you listening out there, send me an email at, where do we send the emails, Hutch? Podcast at ingolmag.com. I know the ingolmag.com. I always forget about the podcast part. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, appreciate it, Taylor, Kevin. Of course, Cam, and you, the listener, on In Goal Radio, the podcast. 